0: All around the Commonwealth of the United Kingdom, and with people like me who hold a great deal of respect for her, we are celebrating 70 years of the rule, the reign of Queen Elizabeth II on the throne there in London. She has had a historically long, long reign as monarch, Of the Commonwealth and I cannot imagine the grief that the people, her subjects, will experience when the time comes, and I hope is far distant future, that she passes from her throne there in London to see the one before the throne on the other side. For that day when she will take her crown And cast it before him. I cannot imagine the grief that the people of the commonwealth will have when that time comes. Because for so many of those people, for so many of us, we know of no other monarch that's ever ruled there in London besides Queen Elizabeth II. She's had a long, great rule and reign as monarch. Yeah, I can't imagine what it will feel like when she finally passes from this world to the world to come. I suspect that's a little bit akin to what Isaiah and his people were feeling when King Uzziah died. Do you notice how the text began? The text began with a very specific chronological marker. And I know that oftentimes when we read the Bible, we just refuse to pay attention to those chronological, geographical markers, but the text begins with the words, in the year that King Uzziah died. Everything the Bible tells us is significant. It's there for a reason, including this, in the year that King Uzziah died. I believe Isaiah, the prophet, was very much like all of his disciples, people there in Judah, there in the city of Jerusalem, and they were consumed with sadness and grief when King Uzziah died. By and large, his reign of 52 years was a prosperous, good reign of a monarch. And we know throughout human history how hard it is to find good rulers. Uzziah was basically a good ruler there for the people in Jerusalem. And I know, we know that his death, bound to have had a great impact on the people. I think his death had a great influence on Isaiah, and that's why Isaiah is painting you this picture of the vision he received in the temple by beginning with the words, "...in the year that King Uzziah died." In the midst of his grief, in the midst of his sadness, Isaiah did exactly that which is the most reasonable thing for us to do in the midst of our sadness. We take it to God. So here we find Isaiah, I believe, in the physical temple in Jerusalem. He's there in the physical temple seeking to worship, offering prayers to God, there in the year that King Uzziah, pouring out his grief before God. And in the midst of his grief, God grants him an amazing vision. And again, I know that his vision, the vision that he saw, the vision that he's trying to record for us here in the text, is almost an unseeable vision for us humans. But it's here for a purpose. And I believe that we can to a certain extent, through the power of the Spirit, doing the best we can. Seek. Seek to try to glimpse what he saw. Endeavor to feel some of what he felt. Look at what Isaiah saw here in this text, in this vision that he records. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, high and lifted up, and the hem of His robe filled the temple, the train of His garment filled the temple. You see, the glory of God is far greater than even the temple of heaven can contain. So the temple of heaven can just contain the hem of His robe. And that's why the whole earth is not adequate to contain all the glory of God. The hem of His robe filled the temple. And then Isaiah talks about these particular angels. They're referenced as seraphs here in the text. The Hebrew plural is actually seraphim. And the seraphs are a special order of angels that's there attending the throne of God. And we're told a little bit about these seraphs. It says the seraphs were attendants In attendance above God, each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces, probably with respect. With two, they covered their feet, probably with modesty. And with two, they flew. So the word seraph means burning ones. And this special order of angels are the burning ones. There in the very presence of God in the book of Hebrews tells us that our God is A consuming fire so we're not surprised to find that those who attend him upon the throne are the burning ones the seraphim or the seraphs I believe Isaiah's in the earthly temple as he sees this vision from the heavenly temple and he sees these angels and you notice that when he sees the angels he also hears their song Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. That's what host means. Those are the angel armies. That's the host of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory because the whole earth cannot contain his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. So they sing, holy, holy, holy. That's the song of the angels. We are told only two places in Scripture that this is the song of the angels. We're told, obviously, here in Isaiah chapter 6. And we're also told in Revelation chapter 4, that amazing vision of the heavenly throne room, that the song of the angels is holy, holy, holy. In Hebrew, they would be singing, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. I tell you that because you need to warm up to the Hebrew language. I believe Hebrew will be the language of heaven. I think we'll learn it supernaturally when we get there. But Hebrew is God's language. So there are the angels, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. That's the song of the angels. I hope that through your ears of faith this morning, you are able to hear, even at a distance, that song, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. We are beginning a sermon series on worship, and in the Christian tradition, we believe that worship, among many things, is also a meeting of heaven and earth. We believe that worship is a meeting of heaven and earth when the communion of the saints come together in worship that's why in the christian tradition and faith we believe that worship is a meeting of the heaven and the earth and that we are worshiping with all the host of heaven we are worshiping with all the communion of the saints when we worship here at 1225 chestnut drive heaven is joining in our worship angels are present with us in worship Worship is not just a meeting of people that sing really cool music. Worship is something supernatural and spiritual. Worship is a meeting of heaven and earth, and we get to join the song of the angels. Kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy. And they're singing about the holiness of God for a really important reason, holy, holy holy this song of the heavens the song of the angels that we get to participate in anytime we worship declares to God that we understand God's holiness that God is the Holy One of Israel 30 times in the book of Isaiah Isaiah references God is the Holy One of Israel so we need to know what the word Holy means. Now, I know that the word holy is a church word. And I'm told frequently, I read frequently, that we need to be careful about how our church words can turn off non-church people. But this is a word that's really important to us. We need to know this word. We need to claim this word. We need to reclaim this word. Holy Now I know all the reasons why people don't like this word. They don't like the word holy, they don't like the word holiness because some of us, you know, some of us know people who are holier than thou. Some of us know people who think they're holier than God. So the whole concept of holiness turns us off but it is an important word that's why we talk about you know the Holy Land, the Holy Church, the holy matrimony holy communion the Holy Spirit in particular we Methodists like to talk about holy heart and holy living that word holy is important that word holy forms the core of the song of the angels that word holy forms the core of the song that we use in worship when we join with heaven in worship the word holy simply means separated. To be holy means you've been separated, means you've been separated apart for God. That's why we can call the church the Holy Church of Jesus Christ. We're no better than anyone else. We We don't do better than anyone else, but we are separated for a particular purpose. We have been set aside, separated for the purpose of God. that's what it means to be holy holy just means separated so holy ones are separated ones ones that have been set aside for God's special use holy means other and of course when we use the word holy in reference to God we're talking about the otherness of God even though in Jesus Christ we have a we have a tremendous remarkable revelation of who God is, even the revelation of God in Jesus Christ does not exhaust all there is to know about God. God is holy. God is separate. God is other. And that's why the angels sing, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. The angels, certainly the angels, these seraphs, have an awareness of the holiness of God. God. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Holiness is the central characteristic of God. The Bible proclaims that in so many ways. Holiness is the central characteristic of God. Here in the West, in our contemporary age, if I were to go out on the streets, or perhaps even in the hallways, Of our congregation and ask what is the central characteristic of God what is the core characteristic of God my suspicion is most people in this age would say love they think you know love is God's job description God has no 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 option but to love us so and we do know God is love that's what first John's epistle tells us love But is love God's central core characteristic? I think many people would say that, and when I look at how the body of Christ functions, it appears like they have made that determination that love is the central characteristic of God. Love is an important characteristic of God. That's why God has shown us a picture in Jesus Christ as to what love looks like and what love is. Love is certainly important, but it's not the central attribute of God. In the Hebrew, the way you declare a superlative is by repeating it three times. Now in English, the way we declare a superlative is we say great, greater, greatest. That's how we declare a superlative. But in the Hebrew language, they declare a superlative by saying it three times, holy, holy, holy. In the Bible, God has never called love, love, love. He's never called mercy, mercy, mercy. He's never called peace, peace, peace. All of these things are attributes of God. But we have to understand his central core attribute is holiness. His love is a holy love. His mercy is a holy mercy. His wisdom is a holy wisdom. His peace is a holy peace. So the angels sing holy Holy, holy. When we worship, I hope that you, at least at a distance, if not clearly, can hear the song of the angels. You know, I I, I believe with a lot of other people that here in this contemporary age, we have lost a sense of the holiness of God. I believe we trifle with God in this age. You know, we can take God's name in vain and not even think about it. We can use the name of God or designations of God in ways that are so flippant and not even think about it. I do believe we've lost a sense of the holiness of God in our age. I believe that's also why we've lost a sense of what the Bible says over and over and over again when the Bible references the fear of God. And the Bible says multiple times, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Now, to fear God doesn't mean we're scared of God, but it means we have great respect for God. It means we have a great respect for the the awesomeness of God. You've heard me say before, and I'm sure I'll say it again. I don't use the word awesome unless it is something that really is awesome. And that's why I really have a hard time ever using the word awesome for anything, anybody except God. God is the only truly entity that is awesome. That's why we should be filled with awe when we think about God. You know, there used to be a hymn in the life of the Christian community. It was in our hymnal until we finished using the 1935 hymnal. And it was a hymn entitled, Before Jehovah's Awful Throne. Before Jehovah's Awful Throne, we can't even use that anymore because we so misunderstand, misuse the word awful. Because we misunderstand, we misuse the word all. God is awesome. God is awful. He's full of all. I do believe we've lost a sense of God's holiness, even among the Christian community in this world. One of my heroes, A.W. Tozer, wrote a classic book entitled The Knowledge of God. After his book, The Pursuit of God, it's my second most favorite book from A.W. Tozer, I remember the very last conversation I ever had one-on-one with Butch Faribault, and it was a discussion of this book, The Knowledge of the Holy, By A.W. Tozer. He knew it. I hope you know it. If not, get a copy of it. If you need a copy, I can give you a copy of it. The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. In that book, he he, A.W. Tozer says, With our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship. I think that's probably why in the contemporary age I believe there's a great confusion among Christians between worship and entertainment. Every day I become more and more more and more uh, thankful for the role that Wesley Memorial Church has in our world. We are a church that seeks to be relevant in a an appropriate way to the world around us. We are a church that seeks to intersect the world around us. But we also seek to be a church, a congregation of people firmly rooted in the Jewish Christian tradition, firmly rooted in in our book. And that's why we seek, and I think we do a better job than average, of maintaining what worship is to be about. Worship to be worship has to be focused on God, not on the audience. We worship first and foremost to bless God, not to be blessed ourselves. Every time I hear people critiquing worship, which I'm glad for people to critique worship, I do it on an ongoing basis. I just don't understand what people's standards are for critiquing worship. Worship to be worship has to be God-focused, God-centered, not audience-congregation-focused. We do what we do because it blesses God. Now, we get blessed by it because you and I, as I've already said, we were created for worship. We find our greatest good, our highest glory, our grandest purpose when we worship. But the focus is God, not us. And that's why the bible teaches us what worship is. Now does it matter if you're using ancient styles to worship or contemporary styles that are new to this age to worship. What matters is not the style of music. What matters is not the architecture. What matters is the focus. Is it on God and offering praise to God? Or is it on the audience or the congregation trying to elicit something from the congregation or the audience. Worship is an experience of the majesty of God. We need to help the people around us in our culture know the difference between entertainment, which is for them, and worship, which is for God. They're different things. Here's a vision of God. So obviously, Isaiah was worshiping and he gets a new vision of God. That's what he saw. Did you see how he responded? Did you see how he reacted to true worship? Verse five and following, he says, and I said, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts worship is an experience of god's holiness and anytime we have an experience of god's holiness it always involves an acknowledgement of our lack of holiness that's why we come before god in confession we come before god humbly we come before god with reverence you see how Isaiah responded, as soon as he saw the holiness of God, he realized his lack of holiness. Woe is me, I am lost. And notice how he responds when he realizes his lack of holiness. I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen God. He's saying, I have a foul mouth, and I live among a people who have foul mouths. Isn't it interesting that when he sees the holiness of God and he realizes his lack of holiness, this is how he expresses it? Well, we remember that Jesus said, out of the mouth speaks the truth of the heart. The mouth displays the spiritual condition of the heart. And that's why the mouth displays for the people around us, the world around us, the condition of our heart, the spiritual condition. Of our heart. So he, he saw his lack of holiness and the first thing he thought about was, was his lips. Then one of the seraphs flew to Isaiah holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And that seraph touched his mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. So as soon as he saw his lack of holiness, you see that God offers, through the angels, God offers Isaiah forgiveness. But not just forgiveness. There are a lot of Christians, and we never want to diminish the glory of forgiveness or the great grace of forgiveness, but there are a lot of Christians, that's all they want is forgiveness. Notice, notice that Isaiah receives forgiveness and, and cleansing. We Methodist types have been the people throughout our history who have reminded the rest of the body of Christ that, yes, forgiveness is important, But then, as part of that forgiveness, as part of the gift of the Holy Spirit, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. He can change us. He can cleanse us. He can make us new. So here you see Isaiah being offered, after you understood his lack of holiness, being offered forgiveness and cleansing. And then Isaiah did the most logical, reasonable, rational thing anyone can do after an experience of worship. After they've been forgiven, cleansed by God, they offer themselves, their lives to God. Do you notice how it happens here? God does not speak to Isaiah in this text. Isaiah overhears God speaking. The text says that I heard a voice, the voice of the Lord, saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? The Lord is speaking to the host of heaven, the angel armies. But because worship happened for Isaiah and he experienced the holiness of God and he was able to appropriate forgiveness and cleansing, he could touch heaven, heaven could touch Isaiah, he could listen in on the conversation of heaven. And God asked the heavenly host, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then Isaiah spoke up and said, here am I send me. Worship is a meeting of heaven and earth. And worship allows us to overhear the song of heaven, and perhaps even the conversations of heaven as God speaks. God, in his holiness, convicts us of our lack of holiness. God, in his love, his great love, cleanses us. God loves us just as we are. God receives us just as we are. But God loves us so so much he'll never leave us just as we are. God in His holy wisdom calls us. God calls us to task. God has called each one of us to a task that only we can fulfill for God. And we all should at that point feel inadequate. But as we say in the Christian community, God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. So God will take all of our inadequacy and equip us to do what God's calling us to do. So, my friends, the Holy One, the Holy One of Israel, as Isaiah calls them, wants us to join the song of the angels. The Holy One of Israel wants us to offer him worship, invites us into his presence, even invites us into a relationship. He's so other, he's so transcendent, he's so holy, but he invites us into a relationship. And by the work of Jesus Christ, we can enter into a relationship with the Holy One of Israel. And because of the time we spend in worship, we will be transformed. And then the Holy One of Israel will use us to transform the world around us. My friends, would you, would you pray with me? God, we have done whatever is necessary to come into this place today, because we desire to worship you. There's something deep, deep in our souls that reminds us we were created to worship our Creator. So we are here, and again this morning we humbly ask for an experience of worship. May we see you high and lifted up. May we experience that your glory, the hem of your garment fills this place. May we be touched by heaven as heaven and earth as heaven and earth join for worship today. May we hear the song of the angels. And thank you, God, for calling us to join the Song of the Angels. Thank you for calling us to a communion of the saints, where together here in this place, we join with heaven all of those who have gone before us and offer worship to you. Cleanse and purify us. Cleanse and purify our worship. For we pray in the name of Jesus, the one, Jesus Christ, the one who has granted us access to you. Amen.